Well, hello, Vernonia Christian Church. Great to meet you. Uh, my name is Jason. I'm Violet. My wife, Violet. <laughs> <laughs> and we are beyond blessed to be able to get a chance to lead you in worship here this morning. We want to say a deep thank you to Pastor Sam and to Carrie. Uh, very, very thankful that they allowed us this opportunity. And uh, also want to give a shout out to all the mothers out there today. Uh, we literally would not be here without you. So thank you so much for the love that you have poured out onto us, whether you are a biological mother or somebody who is a foster mother or uh, just a spiritual mother, all different kinds of the ways that you can mother somebody. So just wanna say thank you so much. And my hope is that this morning, we are able to really draw close to God, that we are able to allow these songs to be able to penetrate into our spirit, that we're able to worship our King like he asks us in spirit and in truth. So my hope is that even though we're doing this on video, that you would experience uh, tangibly the presence of God. So we don't know you, but we love you. And we are very, very excited to be able to go ahead and worship you. Go ahead and worship with you here this morning. So uh, we're going to go ahead and we'll start off with raise a hallelujah and we'll just continue on.
And all I did was praise And all I did was bow down And all I did was stay still Great are you, Lord. Great. 
Our hearts will cry, these bones will sing. matter the circumstance we're able to worship you we're able to praise you because we know that ultimately you are the one that has the victory in all the areas that we've struggled in all the areas that we failed where we're weak you've experienced those same things and yet you've conquered you've overcome so Lord I thank you that we are able to worship you no matter the season we're able to praise you no matter the storm. So Holy Spirit, I pray that this morning that your presence would be felt. But more importantly, that we would know you, God. That we would draw close to you. We love you. We lift you up. We say thank you. In Jesus' name, everybody say Thanks again for letting us lead you. Love you. Good morning, Vernonia Church. I, I want to say welcome to our online worship time. My name is Sam. I'm the pastor here at Vernonia Church, and I'm so glad that you've joined us this morning. Hey, I also want to say happy Mother's Day to all of you mothers and grandmothers and, 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 and all of you. I just want to say happy Mother's Day. I'm so glad that you've decided to join us today for Mother's Day and our worship online experience. So welcome. Glad you're 
here and happy Mother's Day. Hey, this morning we're going to begin a brand new teaching series where we're going to be asking the question, does it really say that in the Bible? You know, I hear things all the time that people assume are in the Bible. Sometimes even Christian people assume it's in the Bible. Uh, Things like uh, godliness is next to cleanliness and, and God only helps those who help themselves and and, and and love the sinner, hate the sin, and and God will never give you more than you can handle. And Adam and Eve ate an apple, and, and there are all kinds of things people assume are in the Bible, but the Bible doesn't necessarily say those things. And so we're going to be spending the next several weeks having some fun, looking at what what, is, what does the Bible say about these things, and, and is it really in the Bible? And so it should be a fun series, and today we're going to begin with the question, was it really an apple? And it's going to be a great day. Hey, before we dive in, though, I just want to invite you, if you haven't done so already, go ahead and fill out a connection card. The link is below. Uh, Let us know that you are here. Let us know if there's any prayer requests you have, things we can be praying for you about, and let us know uh, that you are here. Also, I want to encourage you, if you haven't done so already, like the page and hit the little uh, sub-notification bell so that you can be alerted when new messages come out and and just be sure to share and all that stuff that helps us grow in terms of our outreach online. And so that said, let's pray together and we will just dive into our message after we pray. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before you right now. And God, we're so thankful that even from the beginning of time, even from the beginning of the story of creation that you had on your mind what you were going to do to love us and to draw us in to know you and to love you. God, I pray that you will bless us as we go through this series, that we will capture the heart of what your word says, uh, and that that we will uh, be able to maybe correct some common errors that people think or things that people think come from your word that don't, but that God, not only will we, we learn that they're not there, but we, were, we will learn what your word actually says about them. And we will dive in and we will see the truth that you teach uh, instead of, of, the, of the popular truths that are out there. God, we thank you that you love us and care for us and you give us your word and your word is truth and we can trust in your word, rely in your word and know your word. And I pray that you will open our minds, open our hearts to what you have to say. And God, I pray that you will bring a word just for each person who joins us today, that everyone who comes will will be touched, will hear from you in a special way. Here's something that you have prepared just for them today. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said together, Amen. Well, this morning I want to begin our teaching series where we're talking about this idea, is it in the Bible? And this morning we're going to ask the question, did Adam and Eve really eat an apple I came across a cute little story about a little seven-year-old girl named Jessica, and 
her mom was telling her the story of Adam and Eve, and they were talking about the meaning of it. They read it together in the Bible, and and uh, her mother kind of taught her that that's one of the reasons bad things happen in our world, and things happen because of sin, because of the fall, because Adam and Eve ate that apple. And not long after, like that week, Jessica came home, and she was sick, and she couldn't do anything uh, in terms of going to school because she'd gotten sick. And, and in the conversation, she said to her mom, Mom, if Adam and Eve just didn't eat that apple, this wouldn't have happened. And and then she sort of got a quirky smile. And she said, but at the same time, we'd all be naked. So uh, so if you know the story of Adam and Eve, God, God created them uh, male and female and didn't give them any clothes until later when uh, shame entered the story because they ate that fruit. Well, this morning we're going to take a look at the story of that forbidden fruit. And the question is, was it really an apple? Uh, what, what fruit was it? And so we're going to take a look at the story. And as we go through the story, maybe you'll see, uh, you'll, you'll, you'll find the answer and you'll see what, what, what we're going to be talking about here. So we come to the story of Adam and Eve and uh, it's in Genesis chapter three, uh, where we see the fall. Now in Genesis chapter two, we see God created man and, and the man and the woman, and he created them, uh, and he, he made them. He put them in this garden. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 to 17, it, it says that the Lord God placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat of the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so uh, what what we see is we pick up Genesis chapter 3 is that there's this other character that shows up on the scene. There's a serpent and the serpent has a conversation with Eve and, and it seems like Adam is standing right there as the talk is happening. And so you have the Adam and Eve and they're standing there by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and, and, and they're in this huge, beautiful, lush garden that God had said you could eat from any tree. And there was, by the way, only one other tree that we know the name of it. It was called the tree of life. And so there's the tree of life and the fruit on it. And there's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the serpent comes and, and he says to them, did God really say you can't eat from this tree and that, uh, that you must not eat it or touch it? And if you do, you will surely die. Now there was a little elaborating going on. Uh, he was taking a truth that God said, you must not eat of it. And then he was saying, did God even say you shouldn't touch it? Did God say this? And, and, and so uh, Eve said, yeah, he, he told us that we weren't supposed to do it. And the serpent said, well, you're not going to die. I'm telling you, God's not telling the truth. God knows that once you eat of that tree, he knows your eyes are going to be open and that you will be like God, knowing both good and evil evil. And and the woman, it says, was convinced. She she was listening to the serpent and she was going, wow, you know, you, you make you make some good sense there. You have a good point. Uh, I want to be like God. I want to know good and evil like him. And, and then she looked at the tree and she saw that the fruit looked good. It looked good for the eating. It looked good and she wanted to take some of it. It looked delicious now. Uh, all of a sudden, it had something good about it. And, and so she took some of the fruit and 
and she went ahead and she ate it. And then she gave some to Adam, who also took it, and he ate it too. And at that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame in their nakedness. And so this is the first moment. It's the moment the little girl Jessica was referring to. Uh, All of a sudden, they felt ashamed. Uh, All of a sudden, they experienced what it was to experience wrong and shame and to feel ashamed of of something they have done. And and at that moment, their eyes were opened. and, And so they took and they sewed some fig leaves together to cover themselves up from one another. So there was a broken relationship with God starting. There was a broken relationship with each other starting. And 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 uh, then they went and, and hid when they heard the sound. It says in verse 8, in the cool breeze that was blowing, they heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking about the garden. He was coming to go for a walk with them in the, in the cool of the day. And they hid from him. And the Lord God called out to them. And he said, where are you? He, he replied, Adam replied, well, I, I heard you walking in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. And God said, well, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of the fruit that I commanded you not to eat? And the man replied, oh, it was the woman. Now he's going to blame her. It was the woman. She gave it to me. And, and it wasn't just the woman who gave me the apple, but the woman that you gave me, God. And so Adam blames the woman and then he blames God and he does what everybody seems to do and blames everybody else for their stuff, right? And 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 he said, it was the woman you gave me gave me some of the fruit and I ate it. And, and then uh, the Lord asked the woman, what have you done? And the woman, she passed the buck too. She said, well, it was the serpent and, and he deceived me. You know, the devil made me do it and and she said that's why I ate it and then we we see in the story in verse 14 Genesis chapter 2 verse 14 it says the Lord God said to the serpent because you have done this you are cursed more than all the animals domestic and wild now I think there was a literal meaning to this curse but there's also a spiritual side of it he's talking to the 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 animal slash the 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 spiritual being behind the animal in this conversation you will crawl on your belly groveling in the dust as as long as you live and i will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring he will strike your head and you will strike his heel and we're going to come back to that thought in just a bit but then god will go on and and we will see from this moment on there will be curses that there will be curses that god is going to talk about in terms of the ramifications from eating this fruit that will come on women and the ramifications from eating this fruit that will 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 come on to the men and 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 what we see here is the fall of mankind this is the story. This is where it all happened. This is why we have a broken world, why we are broken people, why we have the need for a Savior and a Messiah, and why sin is in this world. This was the entry. The door was cracked open, and this is where uh, sin 
entered the world. But the question is, wasn't an apple? And I know that as we went through that story, uh, the word apple was never used. And and I just want, I mean, I just want to ask you, you know, when you think of this story, what do you think of? Uh, what fruit comes to your mind? Do you think of it as an apple? Why, why have we talked about in the past? Well, why do people think or, or picture? And why has it traditionally been understood as an apple? Why not an orange, a banana, a kumquat, a passion fruit? Uh, in Jewish customs, they believed that, that this was a, a, a fig or a grape or some other fruit that you would find in the Middle East. But, but why do people take t- today think it's, it was an apple. I think some one of some one of the reasons is because the Latin word for apple is also the word for evil. And so the word for apple in Latin can go both ways. And so it, it was a convenient fruit to have the fruit's name and the idea of evil, because here we see evil entered the world. And there's there are other reasons. Maybe it goes back to the idea that in in uh, in, in in history the word apple has been used as sort of a a cover all term for all kinds of fruit. There were times where uh, where tomatoes were called apples, love apples, and, and cucumbers were called apples, and, and oranges were called golden apples. And, and there, there's been traditionally a, a use of the word apple to cover all kinds of different fruit. And so here, here we come to this idea of a forbidden fruit. Maybe it was just convenient to call it an apple or talk about an apple. But, uh, but, but we've answered the question. That's the entire sermon. That's it. We're done. No, I'm kidding. Uh, we're talking about this story today, and we're just using the the kind of the the question wasn't an apple to sort of introduce it, us to an important story that we need to cover. And the question is not so much what kind of fruit was it. By the way, I think it was a fruit that we have no idea what it looks like, tastes like, or or is like. Uh, th- there were two unique trees in that garden. Uh, I'm sure there were other apple trees, uh, apple trees all over the place in there. But these two trees were unique trees with unique fruit, and, and they were probably something we've never experienced. But more important than the question, what was the fruit, is the question, what was the fruit about? Why was this fruit even here? Why would God put a tree in the middle of the garden uh, representing uh, representing good and evil and why was it there and what was it all about and so that's what we're really going to talk about today uh, not so much what was it because we know it wasn't an apple or at least I, I don't think it was an apple we have no clue to know what it was but what was it about that's the real question and as we go through this uh, message this morning I do want to just make sure I mention it or say it this is one of those things that probably in times past you didn't really have to mention but today I feel like we do and, and it's this that we have Vernonia church and and I believe that this is a real story a real historic story now the book of Genesis is not a it's not an allegorical book it's not a book of uh, a science book it's not a, a book 
of myth or mythology. It's a history book. It's it's a book about the historical things that happen. And I believe that God's word is truth and that God's word is true and that the things in God's word happened the way God's word says they happened. And this is a real historical story of the fall of mankind. Uh, That Adam and Eve were not allegories, that the fruit wasn't an allegory, that the garden wasn't an allegory, but it was all real. And and this is how things happen. Uh, I believe God's word is truth and that God is truly telling us the truth of, of how things happened and what happened. And at the center of the truth of this story is this forbidden fruit. And the question is, why is it there? And I think the big answer to that question is it's there because it represented a choice. That there had to be a choice in this story, in the story of of God and mankind, in the story of God and his creation and his love for mankind and and him creating us in his image. And by the way, I believe that the Genesis story of creation is is truth without error. And and God, knowing how to use language, didn't make a mistake. And when he says he created by his powerful word all things in six days— He did that. He created it. And when it says he created Adam and Eve and and how he created them, that's how it happened. And and, and I believe God's word is truth. And and in this story, God said, uh, there's this tree. And what did the tree represent? It represented a choice, a real choice to be made by mankind, starting with Adam and Eve. Eve. And I want to talk about this choice. I want to talk about how it represented a choice, and that choice, uh, that choice had maybe several avenues that it could go, several ways that it was uh, coming about. That that choice represented uh, different things that we can know about that choice. For example, if you're uh, taking notes, I want to encourage you to just write this thought down, that the forbidden fruit, whether it was an apple or not, whatever it was, was a choice about mutual love. This was a choice about mutual love. The Bible's jam-packed with God's love for humanity and mankind. He created this entire earth so that he could put us in it and give it to us and and show us his love. He created us in his image so that we could respond the way he would respond in love. And it says in John chapter 3 verse 16 that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He goes to the, the farthest lengths he could go, the farthest reaches he could go to show love so that we might not perish, but that we could have everlasting life. I love the way God shows his love in Jeremiah chapter 31. It says, the Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with loving kindness. He has this incredible loving kindness he wants to draw us with. And in Genesis chapter 3 verse 8, I love the image, the picture there in this story that it says the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Now, I don't know what the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day would be like. I mean, was it booming footsteps or was it light footsteps? 
footsteps? Was it uh, was it God whistling as he was walking through? But uh, I, I imagine what this would have been like, because I think what's happening is is the author of Genesis, Moses, is is he's painting a picture for us of God going for an evening walk. What would it be like if you were to go walk around a lake or walk around a pond, maybe Vernonia Pond, and, and you went to go for a walk around the lake or pond, and, and you were like, hey, Jesus, let's go for a walk. And you, you got to see him and walk with him and have this friendship with him every evening. You just went for a walk together. And, and that's the picture here. And I think what we're seeing is that Adam and Eve, God created them. He went for walks with them. He had a friendship with them. They would talk. He would teach them things. Uh, We don't know how long before the fall uh, they had together. It it doesn't tell us how long Adam and Eve were in the garden before this fall. Uh, But but they had plenty of time to go for walks. God talked to them. God God was uh, being a blessing to them. They were loving one another. But that tree represented a choice. That tree represented a choice to be in a relationship, a, a choice to to love back, a choice that's not forced. And that's what that tree was all about. When God created mankind, he didn't create us to be robots. He didn't create us to be like, you know, toys or or dolls. You know, when my kids, they played with dolls, uh, they didn't have a real genuine uh, back and forth loving relationship with their dolls because their dolls couldn't love them back. There was no choice, no ability to love back. And here God creates us and he puts us in this place and he gives us a choice, a choice to love him back, a choice that's not forced. Uh, he, he chose to create us. He chose to love us. He chose to make us. He chose to have a relationship with us, by the way, which that in itself is an amazing thought that God God creates us, and then he chooses to have a relationship with us. But mankind has no choice until that tree is there. And if this relationship was going to be authentic, it has to be mutual, and there has to be a choice to choose no relationship. You know, I have a great relationship with my wife. Uh, You know, sometimes I would tell you it's a great relationship and we're struggling through things. Sometimes I would tell you it's a great relationship and we're really enjoying it. And, and, And it's a relationship that we've had for almost 22 years. At the end of this month, we're going to go on a trip and we're going to celebrate uh, 22 years of marriage. Uh, So, so we've been married for a little while and, and she has chosen to love me and to be in this relationship and to stay in this relationship. And I have chosen to love her, to be in this relationship and to stay in this relationship. And I want to tell you, no one has forced us to be in this relationship. We've we've never been forced into it. We've never been coerced into it. We we've never been uh forced to uh, forced to stay in it at any moment. Either one of us is free to reject each other. At any moment, either one of us is free to to walk out 
on each other. And sometimes, I'll just be honest, there have been times where, where I've been surprised. I was being such a, uh, such, a such an idiot, such a moron. I was being so unkind or unloving. I'm surprised that she has chosen to stay with me and to stay loving me and to stay uh, together with me. And, and that makes me appreciate her choice even more, to be honest with you. And she has chosen me and I have chosen her and we stayed together. And that's what makes this love we have, this relationship we have, even more something to appreciate that, that we're choosing to be in it. We continue to stay. We continue to love one another. And that's how marriage is supposed to work. Now, don't get me wrong. I said we have the choice and to choose to step out of it, to choose to uh, reject one another. That's a choice that we can make, but it's not necessarily the best choice for God's best for us in our life. It's not necessarily the best choice to to experience the the best blessings possible. In fact, some uh, choices, even though we're not being forced to make them, uh, some choices if we choose poorly, we can experience hardship and pain and struggle and suffering. And that's what this choice of this tree was all about. It was a choice of mutual love, but at the same time, it was a choice that would bring about consequences. God told them up front what the choice uh, uh, to eat from this tree represented. Uh, I give you everything. I give you dominion and rule and reign over everything. I give you all the animals, the fruit, the trees in the garden. And here's this tree that represents a choice. And the choice comes with consequences. And there are two things you can know by this tree. You, you can either know good by refraining from the tree, by, by abstaining from from the tree, you will know intimately, have knowledge of what it is to be good, to have a good relationship with God, and you will intimately know the author of life and the sustainer and the creator of life. You will have this wonderful relationship with God, and you will know good. Or you can eat from the tree, which represents rebelling against me, which represents uh, turning your back on me, which represents uh, divorce, so to speak, from me. And, and you will have intimate knowledge of what it is to turn your back away from God and to not know God. And you will have intimate knowledge of what it is to be rebellious and wicked and evil. Basically, God is saying to them, if you eat of it, you're choosing to separate yourself from me, the one who is good, who sustains your life, who gives you life. And if you choose to separate from me, I will give you what you want. I will pull my myself away from you, which will turn into death because we will go from experiencing the author and sustainer and the giver of life to God just removing himself completely from us, which is what death is. And even though Adam and Eve made their choice and they took that fruit and they bit into it, God knew 
that they were going to regret it. He knew that people were coming after them who would also make the same choice and that they would regret it. And and God knew that he needed to do something to give them an opportunity to turn around this choice, to undo the choice, to to have a redo. And, And he begins, even here in this story, starting to work something out that sounds a whole lot like a verse I mentioned at the beginning of this point. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And so that choice, that choice represents mutual love. Now the choice, it also represents a a choice to humble obedience. It represents a choice to humbly obey God. Now although God wanted to be in a relationship with us, don't mistake this for God ever assuming or or creating us to be in this relationship as peers. This was more of a father-son relationship, a mother-daughter relationship. This was more a relationship of, uh, of a God who is over his people. This is more of a relationship that, that God, the ruler of all things, already has with his creation. This is a, a potter having a relationship with the clay. This is a, a, a shepherd having a relationship with his sheep and, and loving his sheep and, and being friendly with his sheep. This is Jesus, the good shepherd, uh, loving his sheep who know him by name or who, who, who he calls by name and who he knows by name. And part of this forbidden fruit was an acknowledgement, an acknowledgement of of our Creator. It, it was a choice to humble ourselves before God who made us. It was a choice to say God rules, God reigns, God has authority over our lives, and 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 to choose to eat this fruit from this tree was a choice of pride to declare something along these lines. No one tells me what I can and can't do. I'm no one's clay. I'm no one's sheep. No one is God over me. I am my own God. Have you ever heard anything like that before? Maybe you've said something like that, and this was at the heart of what the serpent was trying to start up when we come to chapter 3 in Genesis. This is what Satan was trying to tempt Eve with. Now, this is the first time I've said the word Satan as we've gone through this story, because we're only told about about the serpent. And, and here we meet this great antagonist who's going to be there from the beginning of it and from the creation story, and he'll be there at the end in the story of Revelation when he finally gets what God has told him was coming. And, and we see him at work all through the story and the history of the scriptures. And we meet this great antagonist. The Bible describes him as a real spiritual being with real spiritual influence. And, and real influence in our world. Jesus described him as a real spiritual being bringing about real conversation.
consequences in this world. And, and we know that spiritual beings can enter into people because of what the Bible teaches. And we know that real spiritual beings can enter into animals <laughs> even because of what the Bible teaches. And we, we could see that, that spiritual things will have an impact on our world, whether it's for good or for bad. In the case of good, the Bible teaches us that when we say yes to Jesus, that the Holy Spirit comes and lives within us, that that God dwells within us, and Jesus comes into us in the person of the Holy Spirit, who is a helper, who is a guide, who helps us understand Scripture. He helps us understand God. He helps us walk in this relationship with him. He's close to us so that we're never alone. He seals us for the time when he's going to call us as his own to raise from the dead and to Uh, enter into eternal life with him. I mean, spiritual things can come into our life for good. Well, in fact, it seems like God created us to be physical vessels dwelt in spiritually. And so, but at the same time, we will see that spiritual beings can bring about evil. The Bible teaches us that there are unseen principalities and powers that are working against God, working against us, working against people, and they're looking to harm and to hurt and to bring pain and suffering. And in Jesus' day, Jesus cast demons out of people. And and one time, he even cast demons out of people, and they went into some pigs, and, and they made the pigs run over a cliff and and we see the apostles the apostles taught us that that demons are spreading doctrines and ungodly world views and Jesus Jesus taught us that Satan is a deceiver and an accuser and, and here we see Satan enters into this creature in the creation story called a serpent and he is deceiving and he has this conversation. Ever ever since then, the serpent or a snake has been sort of a symbol for Satan and his influence all the way into the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, the apostle John talks about the day Satan was removed from heaven and sent to earth. And he says this, uh, he says this, this great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan. He, he tells us he's the ancient one taking us back to the ancient story in the book of Genesis and Genesis 3. Uh, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to the earth with all his angels, with all the demons he's thrown down to the earth. Talking about that day, Jesus said this. He told them, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. And basically, Jesus was saying, I was there on that day when Satan fell. I was there. I saw him fall. And his great sin, his great sin, his great downfall was his rebellion and his pride. He rejected God's authority, and in pride, he tried to sit himself on God's throne. And it's no wonder then when he's tempting Eve about this forbidden fruit, it's no wonder that he tried to get mankind to do the exact same thing. 
Now, why is he doing that? What's his motive? I don't know. Whether it's out of anger with God, hatred for you and me, which I think it's a mix of both, whether it's out of spite or revenge or whatever his motive. The Bible tells us he's a a liar and a deceiver and he's evil and wicked and he's working hard. He's working overtime. You talk about a, a, a workaholic. I mean, he's been working overtime since the beginning and he's been at it a long time and he's really crafty with what he does and and he starts out with Adam and Eve and he says first he gets them to question God's word. Did God really say that? Did God really mean what he said when he said said that? Is God really going to hold you accountable like he said he was? Uh, God wouldn't do that sort of thing And, and he gets them to question God's word and then he gets them to see the value you in rebelling. And that's sort of the way it works. God, uh, we're tempted uh, to question God's word, and then we're tempted to see the value in sin, the value in rebelling. He shows them how appealing the fruit can be, and, and God just doesn't want you to eat it because he said you will be like him. That's his fall. That's what he did. And now he's trying to get us to do the same thing, to be our own gods, to sit on God's throne, to forget that he's the potter and we're the clay. And so he planted the seed. Nobody, be nobody's clay. He planted the seed. Be nobody's sheep. He planted the seed. Be your own God. And it wasn't until he he tempted them with the potential of being like him if they ate it, that all of a sudden that fruit looked tasty. It looked good. All of a sudden, she wanted it. All of a sudden, a switch went off, and there was no interest, it seems like, before then. Before then, they were all good. They had knowledge of good before that, uh, but now I'm going to get what I want, and now I'm going to be my own God. And so she took a bite, and she handed it to Adam, and he ate it. And by the way, he will be held responsible more than her in the story, and even in history. And even though they made their choice to disobey and to eat the forbidden fruit, God knew later they would regret it. And he knew that people would come after them, their children, their children's children, and all of the generations that have come since then, that we would regret making the choices we made. And so God began right there and then doing something about it. And it sounds a whole lot like, for God so loved the world. And that brings us to the next one. What was this choice? What was that tree? What was the forbidden fruit about? Well, the forbidden fruit was a choice about eternal life or death. I came across a story that it was it was called the story of the most expensive dinner in history. Uh, the most expensive meal in history. It was a story about a man named George Bean in Palmadale, California. He stopped at a Burger King and he ordered a burger. Now, uh, 
the burger was $4.33 at the time. And so the lady at the checkout, she wasn't really paying attention and she just was punching the numbers and she ended up punching the numbers in twice. And, and so he got the, the receipt and he signed it and he handed it back to her without really looking at it. And what he ended up paying was $4,334.33 for, uh, for his burger. And in this newspaper, local newspaper, heard about this story, and and they labeled this story the most expensive meal in history. Well, I'm sure there's been more expensive meals than that, uh, but this meal, this this fruit, the bite out of this fruit, that really was probably the most expensive meal in history. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 9, God warned them about what would happen if they ate from this fruit. And it says, in the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It says in two sixteen to 17, but the Lord God warned him, you may surely eat of every tree in the knowledge and in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil if you eat its fruit you will surely die and so god had this conversation with them he told them the ramifications what would happen he would remove himself from them that they, they would experience death there was no death in the world until this happened now i'm sure that there was more conversation maybe during those walks in the cool of the day i'm sure there was more education more teaching more time where god really explained what was going on here i think sometimes we get the summary of what was said and we get a summary of the conversation uh, we have like the shortened just a, a couple of blurbs letting us know but uh, here god has this conversation with them and he tells them if you eat of it you will surely die in the book of romans it tells us that when adam and ate that when, when he ate that he brought sin into the world it says in romans 5 12 when adam sinned sin entered the world adam's sin brought death so that death spread to everyone for everyone sinned and so thanks adam right but but we don't just thank adam we thank ourselves because it says not only did adam do it he sort of introduced the way to us and because of what he did we all have been following suit and everyone has sinned too and so we've all done it and adam sorry and paul is going to tell us that what adam did god would undo with Jesus. And that's where the good news, the gospel comes into the story. In Romans chapter 5, he's going to describe how even though what Adam did affected so many people, what Jesus did will affect more people or will affect more people in a better way. Uh, and what he will say is this in Romans 5 15. Uh, he will say, uh, sorry, I have it here. It says in Romans 5 15, but there's a great difference between Adam's sin and the God's gracious gift for the sin is the uh, for the for the sin of this one man Adam brought death to many but even greater God's wonderful grace and the gift of forgiveness to many through this other man Jesus Christ in verse 17 of chapter 5 of Romans he says even greater is God's wonderful gift and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it will triumph over sin and death through this one man Jesus Christ in verse 5 18 to 19 it says 
says, in Christ, one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because of one person who obeyed God, many will be made righteous. And in Romans 5.21, it says, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us a right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And what Paul is basically doing is he's taking us back to the story of Genesis and saying, that story, by the way, the Apostle Paul taught it as a true story. And he says that what that one man did, one man undoes. And what that one man did when he made a choice between life and death, and he chose death, the other man does, and he undoes the choice of death and offers life. That's, that's the simplified version of Romans chapter 5. And what good news that is, because here we're talking about something that happened in the book of Genesis, a choice that was made, a choice of death over life, and God knew that Adam and Eve would regret their choice, and I think they did regret their choice. And he also knew that all of those who come afterwards would experience regret and that some of us would experience regret and we would want to make a new choice, a different choice. So he offers a way and he begins to work on a way to undo that choice, to give us a new opportunity to know a new choice. And I think that choice is a choice we see. It's a choice we see being made powerless because of what Jesus did on the cross. And that brings us to the last thought that I, I want to talk about when it comes to this choice, this choice that all centers around this forbidden fruit. The forbidden fruit was a choice about, uh, or sorry, was a choice that loses all power at the cross. It's a choice that loses all power at the cross. You know, there's an interesting thing that happens in this story when God announces all the judgments and curses that come because of the choice that they made. When God is announcing all that, uh, he begins by talking to the serpent, the devil, the snake at the beginning of the story. And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, he says this, and I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. Offspring, uh, he will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. Now, my son, he loves snakes, and I'm sorry, Sam, uh, but uh, most people and and most animals don't love snakes. I remember his disappointment when he first got a snake. He was so excited. He wanted to show his friends and he wanted to show people his snake. And there were a lot of people that were repulsed by his snake. They didn't want to touch his snake. They didn't want to handle it. They didn't want to be near it uh, because they didn't like snakes. A, a lot of animals know that, uh, that, that you don't mess with snakes. In fact, most animals have this instinct where they'll stomp on a snake or they'll run from a snake right away as soon as they see him. And in many places, Snakes aren't something to mess with. People don't like them. They don't want them around. If they bite you, they're, they're poisonous. They bring harm and death and danger. They aren't toys. They aren't pets. Uh, I, I personally don't mind them. It's not my favorite choice for a pet, and so I'm okay with my son having one. Uh, but you don't want to be careless 
around snakes. And there seems to be something here being said about snakes, but I think there's more going on than simply not liking snakes or or not wanting snakes around. Now, Jewish uh, Jewish tradition understood that what was being said here in this curse was God saying and prophesying that the coming Messiah would remedy the injury caused by this serpent. He, he has struck the heel, but God is going to crush his Head, that the Messiah would remedy the injury of the serpent, that the Messiah was going to change things. And here we have what many say, many Christians say, is the first mention of the gospel in the Bible, that God is going to do something to undo the damage caused by the serpent. And the serpent bites. It brings to mind another treat. We've talked about the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Fast forward, fast forward some thousand years, fast forward, and we come to a a hill with a cross on it. And on that cross is Jesus Christ. He's hanging on a tree. And he's hanging there and, and he's giving his life on that tree to undo what was done when the fruit of another tree was eaten. He looks like his heel has been struck by the snake, the serpent. It looks like the the serpent has won. It looks like Satan has defeated the Son of God and had him crucified by his own creation, by the by his own people who have not just rebelled and eaten a tree and said we're my we're we're our own gods. No, they they have crucified the Son of God, and the Satan thinks he's won. But he would crush, he would crush his head and bring victory. And it sounded something like, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believed in him would not perish, but have eternal life. It sounded something like, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. In Galatians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul will teach us that Jesus undoes the curse. He uses the word curse. I think he meant to take us all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, where God pronounces curses that come because of the fall. And it says in Galatians 3, Cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commands that are written in God's book of the law. God means what he says. But then in verse 13, it says, But Christ has rescued us from that curse pronounced by the law. You and I, we've broken God's laws. I've always said if Adam and Eve didn't eat the fruit from that tree, And it went from generation to generation to generation, and it came to me. In all honesty, I probably would have ate from the tree, and everybody would would talk about Sam. (laughs) 
<laughs> uh, Sam being the one who brought a curse. Uh, but we have followed suit. All of us have. It says in Romans that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And, and so uh, Christ rescues us from the curse pronounced by the law when he was hung on the cross. He took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing for is written in scriptures. Cursed is everyone who's hung on a tree. And so Jesus becomes this curse for us. And he offers on that tree to overcome the snake bite, to overcome the effects of Satan who thought he won and had won over God's new creation, all of mankind, whether it was winning in Genesis or winning in the book of Matthew when Jesus hung on the cross. Jesus then rose from the dead and Jesus had declared all authority and heaven and earth has been given to me and, and Jesus one day returned and takes us to be his own and takes us to heaven with him. And by the way, he also sends that old ancient serpent into the pit that was created for him. And so he crushes the head of the snake. That's what a gracious and loving God did. That's what a gracious and loving God did where he took all the curses on himself and, and he crushed the snake's power and influence and he undoes all that that fruit did, whether it was an apple, a kumquat, a passion fruit, a banana, whatever it was, he takes it away. It's not what the fruit was, it's what the fruit represents and what it represents is a choice that God undoes. God knew that Adam and Eve and many of those who would come after would regret their choice. They would regret the snake bite and so he comes to undo it in the person of Jesus. Jesus gives us the opportunity to know forgiveness and grace and life. And it sounds a lot like, for God so loved the world that he gave us his one and only son, that whoever believed in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. And so I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you maybe to take some next steps this week. Maybe you need to take a next step and ask Jesus to give you a redo. Maybe that fruit represents a different choice for you, not a, not a choice of eating fruit off a tree, but a choice that you've made that you regret, that you know you shouldn't have made. Maybe it was a choice that you made that broke God's laws. Maybe it was a choice that you made that hurt somebody that, that wasn't loving, or, or maybe you made a choice that you uh, brought hurt on yourself, and you just want to ask God, God, will you give me a redo? And I want to encourage you maybe to take another next step. We talked about the idea of God taking a walk with Adam and Eve. I want to encourage you to take this step this week. Go for a walk and invite Jesus to come along. Just you and him. Go for a walk. Walk around Vernonia Lake if you live in Vernonia. Walk out in the woods, up in the timber. Walk down the street wherever you live. Just go for a walk, you and Jesus, and have a conversation with him. Begin to experience that relationship that God wants to have with you. And, and maybe, maybe today is the day that you decide that you're going to allow Jesus to take your curse on the cross. 
that you're going to allow Jesus to undo the choices that you've made and give you eternal life because you're choosing to believe in him. I want to encourage you, make a next step, make a, make a decision today that God is tugging at your heart to make. And I want to pray for you. And if you're ready to make a decision like that, pray with me and, and we'll pray together. Let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, we come before you and, and God, we want to have a renewed relationship with you. We want to ask that, God, you would help undo the choices we've made that have brought shame, regret, and pain into our life. God, we ask that you would forgive us for our sin. God, we ask that you would help us to believe in Jesus and to take a hold of the way that you have undone the choice that was made, that ancient choice that Adam and Eve made at a tree, but also the the more recent choices I've made today, this week, last month. God, would you come into our life and give us your grace and forgiveness? We want to take a hold of the promise that if we believe in Jesus, we would be forgiven. We would be given life. And God, we're making a decision today to do that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said together, amen. Hey, if you made a decision today for the first time, I would love to know about it. I'd like to be an encouragement to you. Uh, I would ask that you would maybe hit the link below that, uh, that, 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 that connection card link and maybe just let us know. There's, there's a spot there to hit a box that says you made a first time decision to believe in Jesus. And I'd like to be praying for you that God will help you out when you make that decision. And I'd also like to maybe even reach out to you and help you along the way in your decision. And so uh, thank you for joining me as we dove into this. Uh, Once again, happy Mother's Day. And I hope you had a a enjoyable time with us today as we worshiped and went through this uh, message together. And I I just pray that God will bless you in a special way today. I want to enter into a time now where we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. You know, this whole message, we've been talking about what did God do to fix the problem that came because of that forbidden fruit, whether it was an apple, whether it was uh, some other just fruit we've never heard of or seen, whatever it was, there was this fruit and 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 that fruit represented a choice and mankind made a choice but god knew that mankind was going to re- regret the choices they made whether it's because of the effect that that choice has had on our life uh, the choice uh, the the effect that choice has had on our world on on the things happening in around us uh, some of us were going to say god i want to make a different choice And that's what, for God so loved the world that he gave us his one and only son, that whoever believed in him would have everlasting life and would not perish. You know, that's what that's all about. Uh, It's all about how God was planning way before things ever happened. Um, He was planning what he was going to do on the cross so that he could give us the opportunity to undo all the choices we made. 
and to give us life when we had chosen death before. And so as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, what we're remembering about Jesus is we're remembering that he gives us a chance to make a new choice, to choose God, to choose Jesus. And so as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we're going to take the bread. If you have bread at home, if you have some crackers at home, or you have some Lord's Supper kits at home, you can join us as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. And we're going to take this and, and eat it. And it represents and reminds us of the body that Jesus gave for us, the life that he gave for us on the cross. Let's eat it together. And then we're going to take the juice. And if you have some juice at home, you're welcome to join me. Uh, and we're going to take this juice, this grape juice, that represents the blood that he shed on the cross. Uh, this blood that offers us the opportunity to know a new choice, to have a renewed relationship with God. In fact, Jesus said this represents the blood of the new covenant. And the word covenant, it's a word that means all kinds of things, but one of the things we could think of is it represents a new kind of relationship we have with God. He wants to renew a relationship with us, and so we remember that. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we come before you, and we're so thankful that you give us the chance to know a new choice, forgiveness from our sins, a new choice to be done with a life of sin and to take hold of a life with you, a new choice to have a renewed relationship with you in Christ. God, I pray that you will uh, help this be a moment where we connect with you and where we decide in our hearts to make a new choice, a renewed choice, to take a hold of life, not death, to take a hold of a good and new relationship, not not the not a broken one, and just to, to love you because you have loved us so much. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said together, Amen. Well, I want to thank you for joining me for the Lord's Supper. And we want to uh, just really quickly uh, remind you that, you know, Vernonia Church, whether it's online or in person, we are, we are uh, fully supported and fully funded by the giving of those who are our regular attenders and members. And so I want to say thank you to those of you who have been giving to Vernonia Church faithfully. Uh, we've been able to continue to grow this ministry. We've been able to continue to reach new people. Uh, we've, we've seen people in the last few weeks getting baptized. It's been awesome to see new life happening and people making first-time decisions. And, and it's just been really cool to see. And I want to say thank you to those of you who have been a part of this ministry and helping the gospel message get out. Uh, even when we're having a, a fun talk about uh, apples and what kind of fruit, we still come back to the gospel message because that's the message that matters more than anything. And so I uh, just want to say thank you to those of you who are giving. And if you wanted to know how you could give to Vernonia Church, there are a lot of ways you could do that. You could go online at any time to www.vernonia, that's V-E-R-N-O-N-I-A dot church, and that will direct you, take you to our website. And there on our website, you can 
can give. There's a give tab. You can just follow the links and, and you can give there. Another way you could do it is you can text to give. Uh, just text the word G-I-V-E to 503-376-6646 and you can do that at any time. And so lots of ways that you could give to Vernonia Church. You could always use your offering envelopes if you have those or you could send in checks. All that stuff you could do. But uh, those are two really easy ways. Uh, and I want to encourage you to and thank you. Thank you so much for giving. And let's pray and ask God to bless uh, our giving to Vernonia Church. And let's ask him to bless what we do as we give to Vernonia Church. And uh, let's ask him to work and move in our community and in our online community as well but because of what we do as we give. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for uh, for the opportunity to support your work and your ministry. And God, we pray that what we do as we give, that God, it would bring honor and glory to you and that you would take it and you would use it to help so many more people come to know faith and hope and a renewed opportunity to make a new choice to have a relationship with you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said together, amen. And so with that said, I want to encourage you to stand up and we're going to declare it's been a great day on the count of three. One, two, three. It's been a great day. I hope you have a great day and and I'm so thankful you are here today. And I want to say once again, happy Mother's Day. Thank you for joining us today on Mother's Day and I hope you have a great day.